Welcome to Find Your Niche, a career podcast offering advice that you can implement today, as well as career tips that will set you on a career path and help you to find your niche. I'm Lori Cole, certified career coach and job search advisor with iHire. iHire connects you to industry-specific jobs in over 57 talent communities. Find your niche today on iHire. Everybody knows that bias exists, but do we think about how it exists in the interviewing and hiring process? Think about how our interviewer's bias can affect whether we get hired or not. And many interviewer biases are unconscious, so they're hard to identify or root out. But we're gonna talk about some of the more common interview biases and how to overcome them. Here are the latest trends, topics, and tips that will help you in your job search. One of the most common interview biases involves the first impression. The first few minutes can make or break that interview. Be sure that you're smiling and that you practice a firm but not too aggressive handshake. We've all been on the receiving end of those. As a candidate, it's your job to project the self-confidence that you need to get that job, even if you're feeling a little nervous on the inside. Just remember, they called you for that interview, so you can feel very confident that you are on the short list of the most qualified candidates for that job. You probably beat out hundreds of applicants who didn't get a chance to interview, so focus more on what qualifies you for the position and less on your nerves. There is something called similarity bias. People tend to be drawn to people who remind them of themselves. While some of the traits you share with the interviewer may help you to build some rapport, companies are looking for people to fill the gaps in their team. So if you're too similar to the interviewer, they may feel that you won't be able to strengthen the team where it's needed. Some companies prevent this type of bias by having panel interviews. The panel members will all have different backgrounds and interests, and that means that you get a well-rounded and objective interview. I challenge you to say this next one three times fast, effective heuristics. And that's something that leads interviewers to make decisions based on the way a candidate looks. While it's easy to say, don't judge a book by its cover, it's very hard to do. People's facial structure and vocal pitch have been shown to influence our subconscious perceptions of how trustworthy or likable we are. It's for this reason that we advise candidates not to put their picture on their resume. Your resume is part of your first impression, and you want to make sure that you're not including something on your resume that will contribute to a negative first impression. Then there's something called the halo and horns effect. And this can be based on a single comment that you make in the interview. So let's say the introductions are done, the handshakes are done, and you say something like, wow, I was not expecting so much traffic today. Those crazy Yankee fans are really backing things up. Well, if the interviewer totally agrees with you and dislikes the Yankees and thinks their fans are crazy, you've probably earned your halo. But if they are a diehard Yankees fan, you've probably earned your horns. It's extremely difficult to make small talk with somebody that you just met. And I think that's why so many people default to the weather. So let the interviewer begin the chit chat. This gives you a minute to settle into your surroundings 
take a breath, look around the office, and find something that could be some common ground for both you and the interviewer to chit-chat about. Many hiring managers overtrust their intuition. It's not uncommon for a hiring manager to just go with their gut about who would be a good fit for the company within the first couple of minutes of the interview, which goes against all good interviewing and hiring practices. One of the best ways to overcome this is to remember you are interviewing the company too. You'll be spending a lot of time at work and with your coworkers. So be sure your skills and experience will be appreciated and that the company culture is still a good fit for you. Ask questions about the job and the company and give that hiring manager an opportunity to get to know you so they can base their decisions on facts and not their gut instinct. If you're in the position as an interviewer instead of the candidate, it's also important to recognize your own unconscious biases. The biases like first impressions, similarity, heuristics, halo horns, and intuition are not exclusive to interviewers. Candidates can also experience these biases against an interviewer. Both the candidate and the interviewer should spend some time reflecting after an interview. Which questions went well? Which ones stumped you? Which ones will you ask better next time? What did you think about the interview? And have any of your own personal biases slipped through to influence your opinion about the job, the company, or the candidate. Taking a minute and thinking about what happened in the last interview will help you prepare for the next interview. Let's hear from today's featured guests who has found their niche. Tell me a little bit about who you are, who you work for, what you do. Okay. Um, well, my, I'm Jenny Stone, and I am an HR analyst, and I work for a Millennium Physician Group. Actually brand new to them. Started about uh, six weeks ago, so new job. But how I kind of got here, and uh, I've been in HR for more than 20 years, uh, but I think every one of us kind of gravitates toward a particular thing that we love about HR. Some people love benefits and compensation. Some people love employee relations. I love technology. So I always kind of gravitated toward that type of role. So that's why this role as an HR analyst is perfect for me. And uh, I love it there. It's a great organization. So, What does an HR analyst do? Well, essentially, um, it, it's so much more than reporting, right? We're only as uh, the power is in our knowledge, right? So when we want to know why we have such turnover, how do we know we have turnover? We need those numbers, right? We need to look at that. People analytics is very powerful in order to find um, you know, weaknesses or strengths or anything along those lines. So what I do is I help to gather and give that information to people um, in a way that they can um, present it and share it, um, you know, and so it's everything from, you know, an Excel report telling you how many people have had, a, you know, attendance issues in the last month, or it could be something as, um, you know, like a, our recruitment team, they're in the middle of hiring 400 people. We're, we have 400 open requisitions. Oh my goodness. So they're working on that. And um, so we really have to present numbers, like how, how long is it taking us to fill positions? How much time are we spending on replacements? Um, where are they coming from? Where are their sources? 
is. So we are able to collect that data and be able to present it in such a way where we can recognize areas of opportunity. So it could be anything. So, so hires remorse mm-hmm. is a big thing right yeah. now yeah. that you, you jump ship during the great resignation, you've decided you're going to jump ship, you go someplace else, yep. and then you just find out that it's not what you thought it was going to be. And that's what happened to me. I owned my own consulting firm for 10 years and I left. I went to another company and I was only at that company for five months because it was not at all what I expected it to be. The position wasn't what I expected it to be. And it was it was a big struggle in that you had to have that, in that internal dialogue with yourself like, you know, do I really want to leave a job after that? But I couldn't have, I couldn't imagine staying there. And I, it was the best move I made. So I feel like I found my home now, which is great. Yeah, that's very good. So tell me about the story or tell, tell the audience about the story mm-hmm. you told me yesterday about the inappropriate interview questions. Yeah, absolutely. So I had moved from uh, Florida to South Carolina and uh, decided I needed a part-time job because I wanted to have a little bit Everybody wants a little extra money, right? Right. So I decided I wanted to get a part-time job and started looking around, and I kind of fell back into my old wheelhouse, which is I used to work in hospitality for many, many years. And I thought, well, I can go back to that because that's good money, and um, it's, you know, usually you're walking out with cash. I said, well, let me go interview at a um, restaurant. And I won't name the restaurant, but there's a restaurant uh, in where I live, and it's a very high-end uh, steak restaurant, very well-known. And I went in there, you know, to interview. Now, I came in with my resume, but the gentleman who came to interview me, um, he was late, and he was very flustered and rushing. And I asked him if he wanted to see my resume, and he said no which maybe if he had, he wouldn't have asked me the inappropriate questions. But essentially, um, this restaurant has several levels and several floors. And he looked at me and he said, I have some concerns about your ability to walk up and down the stairs because I just feel you're too big to be able to do that regularly throughout the evening. That's Um, awful. It was awful. (laughs) To the point where I, I literally paused because I thought, did, did I really just hear him yeah, say that? Yeah, did he just say that? Yeah, I was like, I can't, I can't believe that that happened. And so I said, I'm sorry, excuse me? And then he kind of reframed it at this point. <laughs> because and he knew. Because he knew. And he said, well, we don't use trays here. We require you to you know, serve the food. You, know, you would only carry two plates at a time. So there may be several trips, and our kitchen is located downstairs from the main floor. Now, had he said it that way, it would have been different. Right. But the, the point is, is that I could have just let it slide by, but I, was, I said, excuse me, and I think it caused him to pause and kind of rethink. Oh, there's something yeah, going something, on. something exciting going on. <laughs> so, yeah, it was, it was pretty shocking. So. so do you think there should be some sort of manager training? Because not everybody is in HR. Not everybody knows what questions are legal, what they can ask, what they can't ask. How do you train these people to, to do the right thing? Yeah, it's definitely needed, uh, and and here's here's why. So I, I actually do a presentation called Undercover HR, where I kind of share some of these experiences when I was looking for a part-time job. But it's important to remember that as an HR professional, you know what you're supposed to do and questions you're supposed to ask, but your hiring managers don't always know that. And sometimes if they're uncomfortable or they haven't received training in, in how to properly interview, they can inadvertently ask questions just because they're trying to break the ice. They're trying to create comfort with a person. So by doing that, you end up talking about whether someone has children 
children or, you know, their ethnicity or where they're, you know, where they might be from their national origin. You end up just by having small talk, unfortunately. So it's it's important that they not only know how to interview so they can do it well and, and hire the right people, but also so they know what's illegal and what they shouldn't be saying and what they shouldn't be asking because you could, you know, get into all kinds of trouble with that. So Right. Let's talk about some of the questions that would be illegal here. I had a coaching call with a candidate the other day, and he said, are they allowed to ask me on my application about my sexual orientation? Because they did. They asked if I identified with the LGBTQ group. Mm -hmm. And he said, I didn't know what to say. It wasn't... It wasn't like I couldn't answer the question. I had to answer it somehow. And I think that he even told me that it said straight, gay, LGBTQ. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know the answer to that. Do you? Well, uh, that's the first time I've ever heard of that being on an application. Because, yes. I mean, you know, generally, if, if any type of information like uh, male, female, uh, veteran status, all those things are normally asked separately. Um, usually they're part of affirmative action, you know, being, being able to, usually it's a separate piece. It's not on the application at all, but I have never seen asking that. And I would say that that is certainly not something they should be doing. I'd be interested. What, what kind of job was it? Where was, I don't know what kind of job he was applying for, but he was just, we were talking about the whole online application process and how he felt like it had gotten better. Mm -hmm. It wasn't as tough to get through these online applications anymore. It used to be that, you know, 30 or 40 minutes, you'd have to fill in everything. But now the companies are to the point where they're like, okay, we don't want to do anything to stand in the way of getting a good lead. Mm -hmm. So we'll go ahead and make this a short process and then maybe we'll ask additional questions on the back end. You know, it could be that it was kind of the company's misguided attempt to be inclusive. It's Mm -hmm. it's possible that maybe they felt by knowing this information or having this information, they could create a better, who knows, a better culture. I'd like to think that that's the reason it was there as opposed to the other and because it should not be because it could be discrimination if, if I say I check off the gay box and then I don't get the job you know what I mean right, like right. I, I just would really wonder um, you know what they're I would have asked and that's a thing we can't be afraid to ask the question can you and instead of saying this shouldn't be on there it's illegal mm-hmm. you can say can you provide me an explanation as to how this question relates to my ability to do this job or to do this you know, to do this position. So I would I would kind of look at it more from that route. I think that that's a that's really good. It, that's the key to answering any of these questions is to be able to go back and if you are getting asked something that you feel uncomfortable with or you feel is just not right to be able to say could you tell me how that relates to the job that I'll be doing? Yeah. Could and you just give me more context? You know, give me an explanation. And I think that because you know, what we have to remember is, you know, kind of look at it as, you know, give it a couple of strikes, right? So if the person asks a question that you clearly know is illegal or they shouldn't be asking you, you know, again, ask them to reframe or to give you some uh, explanation as to why. And then if they ask the question again, now we know it's not just a mistake. It's just not somebody who maybe is new at interviewing. Now we kind of see ourselves traveling in this path where now you've asked me another question, you know. Yeah. So there, there must be something behind it. And, and, you know, the question you always have to ask yourself then, is this really someplace I'd want to work too, right? Exactly. I mean, yeah. 
Exactly. Marital status, of course, is something that they should not ask you about, but there are many people that will, as you said, in the course of the interview, to feel comfortable, Mm -hmm. will say things like, well, where does your husband work? Or Mm -hmm. just trying to make small talk and not really realizing that that's not a thing that they should be, Mm -hmm. a path they should be going down. Yeah, and sometimes that information can be detrimental for us to know because we all have biases, right? So, yes. and it's so funny that that when I went to South Carolina, um, it's interesting how we had to tell our managers to not be asking questions about alma maters because people were having a tendency to hire someone more from Clemson if they were a Clemson grad. You know, oh, it's wow. like so some of those things just kind of removing those types of of questions because you we all have an internal bias. It's there, you know, and it's not yes. something that we can, you know get rid of. So it's it's important to kind of stick to the stick to the facts, right? Right. <laughs> so. Right. So how would you answer a question about do you have children or anything related to are you uh, able to find child care for your children or will child care be a problem? Well, you can do it one of two ways. Either a you can do like we mentioned earlier where you can just say um, could you provide me with some clarification on why this is important. So then maybe that person can say, well, you may be required to work in the evenings, you know, so then they can reframe. It's allowing that interviewer the the opportunity to reframe the question. Or you can answer it, but you can answer it in such a way that actually, yes, I do have two children. However, it's not going to, you know, hinder my ability to work the additional hours, whatever the case may be. What about when you hear someone's accent? Are you able to ask people, well, where are you from? Your accent's very interesting. Where are you from? No, you shouldn't, only because that provides national origin generally, right? Right. So someone can say, you know, wherever they were from, you know. I think what we always have to look at is race, national origin, religion, right? You have to look at those. Those are the areas that you have to avoid, right? Now, if somebody offers the information themselves during the interview, that's that's different. But just asking that question, and again, we talked about this before where— it sometimes just happens because you're trying to build comfort with another person. Yes, you're yeah. trying to build rapport with them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. My husband's from New Zealand, mm-hmm. and people will always come up to him and say, well, is that a British accent or is that an Australian accent? Mm-hmm. And then once they start guessing, he makes them continue to guess until they guess it. Yeah. But if they say, oh, where are you from? Mm-hmm. You know, he'll answer them straight out, but if he's... Yeah, if if they start guessing, they have to keep guessing. There you go. <laughs> what about is English your first language? Well, I know that often on applications or uh, you know they'll want to know if you are fluent in any other languages. Yes. Now, if it's appropriate to the job, right? So if I'm applying for a position in which they would like me to be bilingual because I'll be working in a call center and I'll, you know, I'll be taking calls and need to speak Spanish, well, that makes sense for you to ask me that question. But just in general, um, you know, usually it's not a bad thing to have it on the application. Is, is it your first language or what languages are you fluent in? Maybe it's, again, it's reframing. Yes. So if it just says, is it your first language? Maybe instead we say, what languages are you fluent in both um, uh, speaking and writing? And then they can check it off, you know. So reframing. And, of course, religion, off the table. Off the table. Don't go there. Politics, (laughs) off the Mm -hmm. table. And even to the point where 
you know, do you drink socially? Are you, do you use drugs? That's yeah, well, tough. I'd I, I more say I'd want to know what companies are asking this information. Yes. But I have to tell you, though, it was really interesting because when I, now it was part of my onboarding, but when I joined Millennium Physician Group, I was really amazed at the amount of questions they asked about drug use, but it's healthcare. Yes. And usually that form is used for people who will be doing the phlebotomy or in the labs or, you know, so they, it's very geared toward them. Now I'm in HR, but I still had to answer all those questions. So it made sense because that's why it was there, you mm-hmm. know, but I, I really worry in, in the application and the interview process when those things are being asked. And, and I think advice for any candidate would just be to allow an opportunity for them to reframe the question. And maybe they can find out more information as to why they're being asked a particular thing. But it's the application itself. It just could be an organization that's using an outdated application process, but they don't even realize it. You right. know? And it's, it doesn't hurt to speak up. I mean, don't just check the box because it's there. You yeah. know, you can, you can certainly ask questions. So. And that's really difficult to do online because mm-hmm. you want to get through that application yep. process. You want to jump through their hoops, give them all the information they need because it's an interesting job to you. Mm-hmm. But you can't just stop it there and go to their contact yeah. us page and mm-hmm. say, hey, why are you asking me this? Yeah, Even, yeah. And, no matter and, how much you want to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and a lot of times these applications won't allow you to move on in the process until you've filled out every single section. Exactly. So, so yeah, I would definitely say that um, that's going to be a, a decision you have to make as, as you know, the candidate who's you know, applying for the position. And to also just wonder... Is that the culture you want to work for? What about age discrimination? This is happening all the time. And I, I coach so many candidates who will say they've done everything right. They've only put the last 10 or 15 years on their resume. They've filled out the application. They go in for an interview and they just see the face of the interviewer fall because they were expecting someone younger. And that's just such a tough situation to be in. Well, first of all, I would say that's maybe that's what you think is happening. Yes. Yeah, because, I mean, any H- HR folks or recruiters or hiring managers worth their salt are not going to, they're going to recognize that someone has the skill sets because you, you made it to the interview process. So you have the skill sets and the knowledge and the skills and the abilities that they want, that they need for this position. So you've made it that far. Maybe that's just what you think happened. Because I ran into that too, because I'm over 50. And when I first started looking for another position, I was very concerned about that, that people were going to see I had 20 plus years of experience. Um, and I redid my resume and literally put every job on there because I was told by the person who helped me write it. They're like, this is important. These are, this is what you've done. This is your history. This is, you know, what you need. And I started getting job interview pretty quickly after redoing my resume. And, and I was, I would think I'd walk out of there. I got that job. Like I got it. And then I wouldn't. Yes. And I thought, is it because they think, okay, well, I only have 20 years left with her. You know, who knows? And yes. then you start having this negative self-talk. you got to get yourself out of that. Because, again, I always go back to, if someone didn't hire me because I have tattoos or because I color my hair weird colors or because I'm over 50, I don't want to work there. Right, because so that's not your culture. That's, yeah, that's not the culture that I'm looking for. So I have to, I'd have to have that conversation with myself anytime I got a rejection to know that it's not me, it's them. Yeah. Right. So, I, I, you know, you're interviewing the company just as much as they're interviewing you. So. And how do you answer those tricky interview questions where they say, oh, well, what year did you graduate from college or where do you go? They try to like ease you into it, trying to get a clue of how much 
how long you've been around. Again, where are these companies? Because yes. I would like to go holler at them for this stuff. <laughs> but no, uh, they. again, the only thing I would tell a, a candidate that is sitting there and being asked these questions is to always push it back to have them reframe. Mm -hmm. Can you explain to me how that information is going to um, help in my ability to do the job, right? Because then they'll know, you know, either A, they just asked it accidentally, or B, um, you know, there's some other reason, and maybe they can give you more information. But hopefully, gosh, I don't even know who these companies are, but goodness. Oh, I talk to candidates yeah. all of the time That's just that crazy. will tell me about these crazy interviews that mm -hmm. they've had with people. Well, and and it's the, they're not having it with the HR department. Yes, it's the these hiring. are typically the hiring managers yeah. who probably haven't been trained mm -hmm. or they're very small companies. Yep. You know, you have a mom and pop company and you've got just a few people and they only hire somebody every five years. Yep. So so they don't come to conferences like this. They're mm -hmm. not sure, they're not aware that there are rules like this. Yeah, well, well with HR Shield that it was with for 10 years, we had all small businesses were our, our clients, um, less than 50 employees. And that was always the case. There was always an issue. And that's why it was really important for us to provide them with that support and let them know, you know, hey, you can't do that. You can't ask questions like that. I mean, I had people who wanted to put in a job posting that they wanted retirees. Oh, yeah. And it's like trying to explain, you know, why it's illegal and how it could get them into trouble. And and it is it can be frustrating. So, again, as, as the candidate, you just need to decide what you're comfortable with. Mm -hmm. And if you reframe it, they don't give you a good explanation. They continue to ask you inappropriate questions. You have to decide, do I accept this or do I not? Right. You know, and, and that's that's the, the hard part, I think. We appreciate our featured guest for joining the Find Your Niche podcast. Now, more career advice and stories from your host, Lori Cole. This is your job search hack of the day. Taking it easy and being unproductive is one of the biggest mistakes job seekers make when they're between jobs. Gaps in your work history are inevitable, but you can fill those gaps with things like volunteering, taking online courses to sharpen your skills, or even getting an internship. Employers know how tough it can be to find a job and how long it might take, but while you're between jobs, you want to appear busy and productive, and this will make the resume gap seem less noticeable. Is there something you need some guidance on in terms of your career? Email to laurie.cole at ihire.com. Thanks for listening.